Do they hear us now? Good. <laughs> Come on, nation. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 222. Two, two. You heard that right. Episode 222 of Combos Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Also, man, tell a friend to tell a friend about the show share this episode we here at combos court would greatly appreciate it today's show kevin sweeney founder of cbb central joins in to talk college basketball you can find kevin on twitter at cbb underscore central that's cbb underscore c-e-n-t-r-a-l you know you can find me on instagram at one two combo that's oni t-w-o-c-o-m-b-o Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Kevin Sweeney, founder of CBB Central. Welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. You know, it's great to have you on uh, to talk college basketball. Thank you for your time. Kevin, from what I'm hearing from you, you've been listening to the pod a little bit. You don't think this college season has been as much of a fiasco as others think? I think maybe that's partially based on like expectation management, I think is, is part of it. I think my, my philosophy has been essentially the options were messy season, no season, or wait until March, pray that the vaccine comes really quickly uh, and, and things are great, right? So all of those are risky choices, but I feel like of those choices, I like Messi the best because it's basketball. We understand how important this season is, you know, financially, certainly with the, with the NCAA tournament that needs to happen, but also obviously the players want to be out there. Uh, the basketball, the coaches that I talk to certainly uh, want to be out there. Uh, and I think it's just, you know, we've seen college football have success relatively we've seen all the pro sports have success coming back i think it's a gamble that's needed to be taken and so far we've had a lot of marquee matchups and that's that's exciting yes we lost gonzaga baylor yes we're losing michigan state uh virginia but we've also had duke kentucky or no excuse me, kansas kentucky duke michigan state uh kansas creighton you know go down the list gonzaga kansas I mean, we've had awesome games almost every night so um you know i think it's been about as well as we would have expected based on what we've seen in college football and uh, I guess you signed for that. All right, let's backpedal a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your podcast. Yeah, so I started covering college basketball um, when I was 16. Uh, when I was in junior year of my high of junior year of high school, I was I, I had grown up in the Albany, New York area, and had really fallen in love with, with mid-major basketball in particular. Sienna had been really good when I was growing up, and. Uh, won a couple of NCAA tournament games. New Albany had three-peated uh, the America East and pushed some teams in the NCAA tournament. So I kind of understood that college basketball was, you know, was a lot of fun and understood that mid-major basketball in particular was a lot of fun. Uh, and so my junior year of high school, I was bored and, you know, started a blog and started, you know, writing my thoughts about whatever was going on in, in the college basketball world. And uh, just been, been fortunate to connect with a lot of amazing people through social media and through different outlets and cover games and, uh, you know, we have built it up while I've been at, at Northwestern out in Chicago, where I'm a senior now. 
um, which is crazy to say. Uh, <laughs> Time flies, right? Yeah, man, I feel old. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, built it up while I was there and uh, I've had a lot of success. And, uh, and I do the podcast now with, with my buddy Brad, which is a, which is a lot of fun. I have a show with uh, Brian Burton, who's a uh, former Division One assistant at a bunch of spots. And we do a Monday morning show, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, getting started doing some some college basketball work and all this stuff with uh, Sports Illustrated coming up in the next couple of weeks and months. So that's exciting as well. Nice. All right. So I wanted to ask you a few questions that I had in mind. Um, are there places where fans are watching college basketball games and who makes the decisions on which teams play and which teams don't? I mean, is it the league? Is it the conference? Is it the athletic director or is it a, is it a combination of all? It's it is that is the challenge is that it is a combination of both. And so there is no necessary set hierarchy gotcha. uh, for those decisions. So with fans, usually that's a state and local health official allowance. And then the schools can decide whether they want to take advantage of that. Like for instance, I know in the Midwest and the big 10, they don't allow fans, even though a lot of the States would allow it. Um, but you know, things, things like that. But then as far as game cancellations go, uh, so the NCAA has a recommendation that every that if there's a single case and you are tier one, which are coaches, uh, players, support staffers, essentially the people who would be at a normal daily practice, if you have a case in your tier one in your testing program, then you should shut down your team for 14 days. Now that the CDC has changed the recommendation to seven days with a negative test, now some teams are doing seven days with a negative test, some teams are still doing 14. You have some teams that say, well, shutting down the entire team doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're not going to do that. We're going to contact trace, which is what football does, which is okay. Well, the point guard's roommate is the, uh, you know, the backup shooting guard. So if the point guard tests positive, the backup shooting guard's out, um, but no one else was in close enough contact. So, you know, everyone else can play. And, and if they're testing negative, you can go for that. Do daily testing. You have some, and, and that allows them to do less contact tracing. There are some places that do three times a week testing, which is makes you do more contact tracing. You have conferences that want to follow the NCAA guidelines. You have conferences that do not want to follow the NCAA guidelines. Uh, so every, I think every single day I get a text from a different coach who's like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how this works. I don't know how any of this works. But everyone wants to just show up and compete and deal with all the mess that comes with it. But uh, the protocols are messy. It's not something like the NFL where there's a, you know, a one-set guideline where everyone does this testing and everyone contact traces like this and everyone sits out this amount of time. It is very much a you know, locality to locality, team to team, conference to conference decision. Uh, and sometimes there's a lot of uh, disagreement. We saw the college football, obviously Clemson, there was a big, big, big fuss because Clemson thought Florida state was canceling on them, not because they were had, had virus concerns. They were scared of playing Clemson. And it's a, this is mind boggling. Cause I don't think anybody understands this as well as you just explained. Like you expect a college basketball fan to understand that. I mean, it's asking a lot. Right. Well, I think that's, that's part of the problem is there's not a lot of communication with it either. So yeah. people like people on the outside don't know what's going on. And they're just like, well, why did Gonzaga get to play two weeks ago when they had a positive the day before, but you know, UConn gets a positive. They're not going to play for two weeks. Like, how does that make any sense? And the different, and the, and it's, you know, it's different health departments. It's different, you know, it, it, it's, it's different, you know, conference rules. It's different team rules. Their team doctors say different things. So uh, it's created quite the mess. The challenge is, is that like even having set regulations, you'd almost have to set it to the highest standard of, of, of holding teams out for as long as possible because you have some health departments that are very strict. You know, there's, a Calif there's some California health departments that are very strict. You have other health departments in Florida. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You can do what you want. So you'd have to set it at like California level. And all the teams in Florida would be like, well, why can't we play? We're ready to play. We have everyone approved. So, so, so 
there's almost no way of solving this problem. It just means we're in for a mess for the next three months. And everyone just has to be ready to adapt on, on a fly. It's crazy, man. Mind boggling. Duke actually lost yesterday. Do you feel they lose their home court advantage when, uh, during the way just things are right now? I mean, cause they have a crazy home fan base, rabid fans, and they lose that right. in a situation like this. I think so. Um, I will say I was at Cameron last year for a uh, women's basketball game, actually. Uh, and I still felt like there was a home court advantage, even though there was very few people in there, just like you, f- you feel the walls kind of caving in on you in the place. It's unbelievable. But I think the pickup that Duke gets from that crowd, especially in a game like that Illinois game where they got punched in the mouth in the first five minutes, they're down 10 early. How do you respond to that? And I don't think they had the push from the crowd whenever they made a couple shots and started to get that spurt. They didn't have the push from the crowd to make them make that, you know, 10-0, 12-0 run that gets them really back into the game. And uh, So Illinois was able to keep them at arm's length the entire way. I wanted to talk about Kentucky. Um, on this podcast, we covered the draft a lot. Brandon Boston hasn't had the greatest start. I think he has a lot of potential, but I think the Brandon Ingram comparisons are more about his demeanor and not as much his skill set. Tell me what you think about th- his game and Kentucky as a whole. Is it time to press the panic button? It's close. It is really close to start worrying about the uh, the panic button with them. I, I think Boston's going to shoot it better than he has early on. Like he's not a 17% three-point three shooter. We wa- I watched right. a few times in, in high school on tape over the summer, and like the guy's a, the guy's a really good shooter. He's a really good shot maker. He's going to get there, and that'll help their offense tremendously, but uh, I think the bigger concern right now is that they have no point guard. Devin Askew, the reclassified kid from California. I really liked him in AAU, but he was playing with two guys who could play with the ball. And Jalen Green, uh, who's obviously the G League Select program, and then Namari Burnett, who's at Texas Tech, uh, on, AAU, on his AAU team. And I think not having the creators around him has really hurt him, especially at, at a higher tempo that college basketball play, or a higher intensity, I guess would be the better word, um, and so he has really struggled. I think they need to put Clark on the ball more, uh, let him create a little bit, move Davion Mintz to that secondary creator shot spot and let him shoot threes off of him, let Boston get going. And then I think they need to get Keon Brooks healthy. You know, he's a guy who, you know, Kentucky five stars tend to really take that second year leap if they come back. They go from like 10 minutes a game and solid rotation guys into, you know, you know, very, very impactful starters. And I think, and we've seen that with guys like Matt Hurt at Duke this year. Uh, I think if they can get him back and, and playing at a higher level, that'll allow them to really platoon Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Sarr at the five, give them a little bit more spacing um, and, and just help them run a little bit smoother. I mean, they got a lot of work to do. They're, they're turning it over at a really high level. They're not fighting. They're not competing right now. They're, they're not, they're not tough. They're not mentally tough. Um, can they get there? Obviously they can like the talent level is there. Um, but I think it's, it is surprising how bad they looked against Georgia Tech. I thought Richmond, Richmond played a B game and beat them. Richmond's a really good team. Uh, Kansas is a good team. Georgia Tech is a fringe. It is an IIT. Georgia Tech's an IIT team. And they got run out of the gym on a neutral court. Like that can't happen. And so they got a lot of work to do without a doubt. Do you feel it's a combination that their top end talent just isn't much of a difference as it used to be? And then that with the combination of chemistry issues is what's going on there? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of that. I think first of all, yeah, the top end talent, like you said, is not where it is, where it used to be. I, I tweeted right. this. Only three of the top twenty recruits in the country are at Duke and Kentucky this year, and the last like five years, that's usually been like the seven to eight range. Like they just have they haven't cleaned up because whether you have the G League guys, you have um, you know Cade goes to Oklahoma State, Evan Mobley goes to USC, uh, Springer and Johnson go to Tennessee. Like those are guys that would normally be at Duke or Kentucky. They're not at Duke and Kentucky. So the talent level shrunk a little bit. 
They didn't have the summer as normally, you know, you, I mean, they had, they were there for a lot of the summer, but it was, you know, no contact stuff and being smart with, with who you're around and not full practice. So I think they missed that. Uh, and I think there's also just, just some chemistry issues. I think they should have, they should have went out and gotten a better grad transfer point guard than Davion Mintz. Like when you look at what Carlick Jones has brought Louisville, for instance, I, there's no, there's no way Kentucky couldn't have gotten that kid if they didn't want him. Like they can get any kid they want. Uh, and, and I think they should have went after a guy like him who could be a little bit more ball dominant than a guy like Mintz who really wants to play off the ball. So they got some problems to work through. Um, but I think like the Clark Boston dynamic will, will figure itself out. Jackson's a really good glue guy in that he doesn't need the ball to succeed. So I think the, the nucleus is there. They just need better point guard play and, uh, and to find some lineups that work. And I think Cal is still searching for answers there. For projected high draft picks, do you think it's in their best interest to not even go to college? Like we see Darius Baisley. We see uh, two of our top prospects go to Australia. Is it better just to take the year off, work out your game? Like Darius Baisley took like a sneaker internship, and he looks like he has potential, in my opinion. I think he's, he's even going the, under the radar at this point to be a high-level NBA player. So what are your thoughts on that? Like could going to college even hurt somebody when it's more off potential than maybe skill level? Right. I think I think you have to define you have to understand who you are. Like basically right. would have averaged like eleven and a half at Syracuse because he was young and lean and would have been thrown into the zone. Potential, and, potential, yeah. Right. Yeah. And like McCurmaker at Howard, like he that kid should have sat out this year. Like I love what he's doing for Howard. I think it's awesome for the sport. Um, but like And it, it's very important for the HBCUs, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. But he's not gonna put up numbers and he's already, you know, he's on the shelf with a groin injury, but he wasn't even that good in the two games he put it played. Like he's all, he's all potential. He's no production yet. I think, you know, Cade Cunningham and Jalen Subs, that guy's going to get help by college. And they put up numbers every night. He's going to be on national television. But when you're a prospect, when you're a Mitchell Robinson, when you're a, uh, you know, a Baisley, I think those guys should be, you know, sh- should, should sit out, hold the ice, the stock from what they did in high school and in AAU ball, uh, go work out for a year. Um, get, get, don't, don't put out tape. That's not going to be great tape. And that tape in college might not be great tape for those guys. So I think I think you have to understand who you are. But I think there's some certainly some guys that it makes more sense to just sit out a year and train and uh, get as many eyeballs off of you until you get into kind of measurable stuff in the spring. Do you watch Kate Cunningham and kind of look at him like you really don't belong out here? Different man, like he's unbelievable to watch. I thought in AAU that was like especially noticeable because you're watching games that are a little bit ragtag and he's just like so- he's an he's a legit NBA guy right now. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. He's just he's so polished. I, I don't right. call. Uh, a college guy who is as polished as he is at that size. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he's six, eight now. Like I thought he was like six, six. So he's, he puts two inches on. He, he's, he's looks leaner. He looks more explosive. He's now and, he's, a, and the poise of an NBA vet. It's insane. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's so fun. It's I'm, I, I love watching Oklahoma state. I hope they can get the NCAA ruling overturned and let them be eligible for postseason Cause I think in, it's in everyone's interest to have him in the NCAA tournament. All right. I, you probably didn't know I was going here, but let's shift to Mac McClung because I had some reservations last year. I didn't really know about him as a, you know, a long-term NBA player. But this year, I see a lot of improvement. I think he's a little bit better off-ball than on-ball, which could be a concern at his height. But uh, what do you think about his game and how it will translate to the NBA level? Yeah, I think the challenge for him has been, you know, he's, he's this underside. He's, the, he's in the underside scoring guard mold, you know? Yeah. He, about guys like that, you know, Miles Powell in the Big East at least has that high-end shot making, whereas McClung hasn't been that yet as a shooter. And he's started this season well. He's 10 for 24 from deep, which is a really good sign. He's taking care of the ball better, which is a really good sign. Uh, I think he's going to need to learn how to be a point guard to, to play in the NBA. Uh, but he's a lot of fun. He, he competes. And I, I think one of the things I, I heard um, 
when, when reading up on, on McClung and, and why he chose Texas Tech was he decided, like, I need to get coached harder than I'm getting coached right now. And Chris Beard is going to coach him really, really hard. Uh, and I think that will make him a better player. So whether that's after this year or after next year, um, I think he will, he will come out a much more polished prospect than he would have from Georgetown because of what Chris Beard is going to work on with him over the next two years. And, and they're going to put him in opportunities to see. They're going to put the ball in his hands. So they're going to let him create. Uh, and they're going to let him attack, which is, you know, so central to Texas Tech ethos. I think so central to what Mac needs to be. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a good sign for him. And it uh, should be a really fun Texas Tech team to watch. Yeah, I think he definitely worked on his game in the offseason. Do you think he'll declare this year? I think he wanted to. I think he wanted to last year. I think. Oh, he, okay. So that means uh, you think he will yeah. this year. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's such a weird year. And Texas Tech is, if he, if he has tons of fun at Texas Tech, maybe he says, okay, I'll stick it out one more year. But like, I think he wanted to leave. I think, I think the feedback he got from the draft people this summer is re- why he transferred. I think he, he realized he needed to switch it up to try to, to try to change the narrative. And uh, I think he's done so, so far, obviously they have some bigger tests coming up, but um, you know, he's, he's been locked in. What have you learned about Jalen Suggs game? I've learned he's a lot more polished as a point guard than okay. I, you know, I watched, I, I had only really seen him at the, uh, the Phoebe U19 stuff in Greece. Um, and you know, what I, what I got from him was he was a little bit robotic. He was a little bit mechanical. He was really playing in like a three and D role for that team. Cause they had Cape Cunningham and Isaac likely who's handling the ball. Some that, um, you know, they just had a lot of ball handlers on the floor and he was, he was kind of playing in the, he was, he was mostly just an off ball shooter and a slasher in transition and tagging closeouts. Uh, so to see him as a, as a, as a point guard and, and creating a ball screens and making quick decisions has been really impressive. He's raised the Gonzaga ceiling so much because you know, it gives him another dynamic ball handler and shot creator. I want to see how the, how the shooting sticks and, you know, where, where he, where he winds up in that regard. He's only taken six threes in, in their three games and only made two of them. Uh, but impact, impact defender really passes, gets downhill and plays unselfish too. Like, I think, you know, when you go into a system like Gonzaga, uh, I think the, the question for any elite recruit is how do you handle being around, you know, three, four veteran guys who can really play. And he has taken that really well, which I think will um, suit him well in the NBA. Yeah, he got, not comparing their games, but he got the Tyrese Halliburton thing where he's going to know how to win. Like, he'll be a proven winner. Yes. You know? Uh, I was watching St. John's Ryder yesterday, kind of random, right? Um, I'm just surprised by how different the college game is to the NBA game in terms of all those spot-up mid-range jumpers. Like, in the NBA, they'd want you to stretch those out. Do you think, like in Europe, if you watch a 19U game, yeah, it's more up and down, but it's kind of similar to what they do at the pro level in a way, even though the pro game's a lot. Would you like to see more uniformity when it comes to style of play? And do you think NCAA teams will take an analytic approach eventually and start shooting more threes and maybe a little bit less post-ups? Because I think when, I think even when I look at like a missed post-up attempt, like it makes me cringe a little bit these days. I don't know. Uh, I definitely come from a player's perspective, but... You know, what do you think about all that? Yeah, it's fascinating. I think it's, it's, it's so interesting for me, given that I, you know, get to talk to coaches over the summer and you'll have some coach you talk to them and man, we're going to post up a bunch. Like we're, we're going to pound teams in terms <laughs> of rebounding. And then I get on the phone with uh, Jamie and Christian at GW. And he's like, yeah, we want to make 12 threes a game. Yeah. We're, <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to do 30 a night. We've, we've all these guys who can shoot. Right. So like you coach on all different sides of the spectrum. Uh, I, I would like to see teams, if nothing else, get to, we're always playing with four shooters on the floor. We're always yeah. getting that level of spacing. Like to me, that's the bare minimum. Uh, and Kentucky's not even doing that right now, right? Right, exactly. They're playing yeah. too big because that's what they've got. And I think, right. 
I think college coaches need to do a better job of roster management and making sure that they're, they're building their rosters to, to win. And I think part of the challenge is that like, sometimes you'll just lose a guy in May that you didn't expect to lose. And all of a sudden you gotta go get a kid and like, okay, this kid's talented. We'll take him. We'll figure it out. Um, but no, without a doubt, I think we need to, we need to get to a more, you know, patient space centric thing. We've seen guys like Eric Musselman have a ton of success doing that uh, in the college. And that doesn't mean the post-up's dead. That doesn't mean zone defense is dead. Like no. it's basketball, that, that's 100%. play. It's not going to be the NBA. They're not going to put up hundred a night, but I think, uh, you know, definitely, you know, teams can make some subtle adjustments that will really improve, you know, A, the aesthetics of the game, which I think at times are really ugly uh, and, and B, you know, just, just preparing guys to be re- be pros. I think there's a lot of guys who are not maximizing college basketball because they're not, right. they're, they're suited for the pro game. And they're not, they're, they're not playing that game right now. Right. All right. Uh, one more before we get you out of here, Kevin. Uh, do you think the NCAA champion will be crowned this year? And who are some of your favorites when it comes to contenders? I'm an optimist. So I'll say, yeah, I think it does. Okay. Nice. Uh, at this point, like the NCAA knows they need it to happen. Dan Gavitt has been a good leader. Uh, he has pushed us forward as a sport and tried to make things happen. I think the biggest threat right now would honestly be, you know, state and national restrictions, right? Like everything else can be worked through. Everything else you can, you can, you know, your way out of you can add more testing you can change your protocols you can bubble up if you start having you know let's say california decides now the colleges can't play sports now you're in trouble but until that point gets here and i don't think we're headed there based on what we've seen in the last couple weeks um i think we're gonna change and we'll be messy of course but uh in terms of who who wins it you know gonzaga and baylor look like a cut above the rest right now i'll be honest gonzaga has been you know so complete uh, but i've been so impressed by baylor and, and the job that they've done losing their their stud big man and freddie gillespie uh, you know, they beat a very good Illinois team when their two best players didn't play that great. And that was because, you know, they got something from their bench with, with Adam Flagler, the transfer from Presbyterian. He's been awesome for them. Matt Myers giving them stuff off the bench. So they're deep, they're athletic. They really, really defend uh, and, and they run good offense. So those two teams really feel like a cut above the rest. Otherwise, there's, there's a really big glut. You know, you have Iowa who can really shoot it, but they can't defend. You have Kansas who's still kind of figuring out who they are. You've got, you know, Texas had a really good week at Maui. You've got... Illinois looked very good yesterday with with Io on the floor. Michigan State, I think, has looked really good with Sam Hauser or Joey Hauser. I don't know why I keep confusing the Hauser brothers. Uh, Joey Hauser's been really good for them, and Rocket Watts has been good. So I think Baylor and Gonzaga really, you know, stand out. But the 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 middle tier, I think, is really wide open. I think we've seen a pretty strong, you know, five through fifteen in college basketball this season so far, which in the last couple of years has been a little bit weaker. So that's been an encouraging sign. Kevin, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Thank you for your time. Let us know where we could find you on social media and everywhere else. And tell us more about your podcast and where we could find that. Yep. So uh, my Twitter is uh, CBB underscore central. I have lots of lots of opinions on there. So uh, be sure to follow uh, my podcast, the CBB Central podcast. That's on Apple, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Um, my new show with Brian Burton, we do, it's on YouTube, it's on Periscope, it's live on my Twitter feed every week, so you can always check that out, and my, uh, my written content, we'll, we'll see, I think most of it will honestly, for the rest of the season, will be on, on Sports Illustrated, I published my first story with, uh, about Kentucky actually today, so that's very exciting, and uh, so we'll point you that there, and also on uh, my website, my personal website, where I post a lot uh, in the past, uh, cbbcentral.com, for all my like, conference previews and stuff are, and wants to get in some uh, deep reading. Everyone, check that out. I'll be checking it out. Kevin, thank you. You're always welcome back and talk soon. Thanks, man. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. And big shouts to Kevin for joining in. We appreciate you. Go subscribe to the CBB Central Podcast. Also, if you listen 
to this episode in its entirety and have Instagram take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, tag me at 1-2-Combo. I'll share it. And don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button for Combo's Court Podcast. Be on the lookout for episode 223. Combo out.